Welcome to the OKC First podcast. Together, we're learning to do three things. Friendship with God. Friendship with one another. And open friendship for the sake of the world. For more information about OKC First, please visit OKCFirst.com. Today's scripture comes from Isaiah chapter 63, verses 7 through 9. I will recount the gracious deeds of the Lord, the praiseworthy acts of the Lord, because of all that the Lord has done for us and the great favor to the house of Israel that he has shown them according to his mercy, according to the abundance of his steadfast love. For he said, Surely they are my people, children who will not deal falsely. And he became their savior in all their distress, It was no messenger or angel, but his presence that saved them. In his love and in his pity, he redeemed them. He lifted them up and carried them all the days of old. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Eric. Thank you, Dr. Riegerd. And huge thanks. You've already heard... Uh, her say it today, but Tamara is not just our worship leader, she's our executive pastor. And so every bullet that I have sweated over the last uh, couple of months, she has sweated too. And um, so thanks for all of your work and all of that. And thank you. Because uh, now you will look at that and you'll say, hey, we, we came short of our goal. Well, we are at this moment, about 18,000 short of our goal, but our goal kind of was a moving target. We reported to you, and Jeremy helped us. I think, Jeremy, you kind of kicked this whole messaging campaign off. We suffered some unintended expenses, principally related to the, to the building, and so we ended up having uh, more expenses than we anticipated when we put the budget together, and so we came to you and said, we, we really feel like we need to raise a million dollars, and we came to you with that request kind of late in the game. I mean, we have been saying to you for the first, oh, 10 months of the year, 900,000. We should, we should be able to do it 900,000. Oh, wait, it's a million. And so we came into this last month needing about 300,000 and so if we don't get another dollar in, and typically we do, there are checks that will trickle in that, have, that were postmarked, you know, 1231, so typically we'll get some. But if we don't get another dollar, we still will have beaten last year's giving record by $75,000. It's, it's remarkable. It's worth all the heart disease I suffer because of it. The frequent trips to the therapist, Aaron, all of that, you remember. Uh, no, it's just, it is just an honor to be identified with this group of people. Um, it did get the impression, and I so appreciated the way Zach helped us to message the whole thing, and, and all of you who came and helped us uh, from a poem to uh, live statements to video recorded statements. It was all you got the impression that the further we get into it that we were actually in the process of protecting and preserving something. And uh, we did. So thank you very, very much. Yes, this is the second Sunday of Christmas. Next year we will, have our, we will be in the season of Epiphany and we'll have our, our new sermon series which is going to be entitled Jesus the Way. 
uh, Lent will be Jesus the truth, and then Easter will be Jesus the life. We, we are going to be preoccupied, at least your pastor is, with Jesus over this next year. A whole lot about this Jesus character. And this passage of scripture, I think too, tells us something about Jesus, though it comes from uh, the prophet Isaiah in the last part of the book of Isaiah. So let me, let me say this. As we will be chasing the God in Christ who is chasing us, we do so in the hopes of improving the quality of the connection between me and Jesus, you and Jesus, all of us and Jesus, and improving the quality of that relationship that we enjoy with the God we see in the face of Christ. Th that relationship with God is, is not only crucial and often thrilling and beautiful, but it is at times also, right, confusing. Uh, maybe even frustrating. I don't know that I would say that real relationship with God is easy, uh, and I don't think it's easy for God either. <laughs> By the way, does everybody know that Israel, Israel literally means struggling with God, struggles with God. I think from the jump, relationship between God and God's people has always been difficult but good. Hard, but, but beautiful. And, and I think that nowhere do we see this more on display than in, whoops. Do we have a screen up there yet? Uh-oh, I'm getting this again. I don't know what that means. So maybe we will, maybe we won't. All right. Um, relationship, so the beauty of the nativity the beauty of the nativity, and the older I get, the more beautiful it is. But we have to appreciate that beauty in context. We're going to use that word a lot today. Context, context. God's gift and God's grace comes to us in the midst of struggle, in the midst of conflict and failure. We mentioned Joseph a couple of weeks ago. Joseph is in this moment probably still struggling with whispers an innuendo. Joseph probably feels the weight of the financial struggle that they are in. I mean, his wife is giving birth to their firstborn in a feeding trough. He is also at risk. I mean, the scripture tells us in today's, one of today's passages that Joseph's life, Mary's life, the baby's life is in danger. So the gospel comes to us in the midst of struggle. That is the context and the context doesn't negate the truth and beauty of the message. The context makes the beautiful truth of the message stand out all the more. It's all the more stunning because of what is happening. Now, I love the verses, Eric, they're beautiful. But what we have done to this point is we've lifted them out of context. Can I read you the hard verses that came before these verses. I mean, I'll get back to the pretty verses. I will. But know this. This is a conversation between God and the prophet. And God shows up at the city gates, let's say. And a sentinel says, kind of a, a who goes there. And God says, it's me. And, and listen to how God is described in terms of his form. Who is this that comes from Edom? from Basra and garments stained crimson. Who is this so splendidly robed, marching in his great might? God says, it is I, announcing vindication, mighty to save. The sentinel asked, but why are your robes red? 
and your garments like those who, like theirs who tread the winepress. God says, I have trodden the winepress alone. And from the peoples, no one was with me. I trod them in my anger and trampled them in my wrath. Their juice spattered on my garments and stained all my robes. For the day of vengeance was in my heart and the year of my redeeming work had come. I looked, but there was no helper. I stared, but there was no one to sustain me. So my own arm brought me victory and my wrath sustained me. I trampled down peoples in my anger. I crushed them in my wrath and I poured out their lifeblood on the earth. Aren't you glad you came to church today? God has fought a difficult battle on behalf of Israel and to some extent because of Israel. Because of Israel's, are you approaching me to do something up here? Okay, well. Because of Israel, because remember, Israel brought the exile onto themselves by their disobedience. Israel brought all of this on themselves by their disobedience. I can only imagine what this must look like if you're watching at home. <laughs> Is there a large man in front of the pastor lounging? <laughs> yes. Okay, all right. Focus, John, focus. This is how Israel perceived their God, and there's a sense in which... They needed to perceive their God this way. Let's keep in mind what the context is here, the historical context. The people of Israel are coming back from exile now. They're coming back to ruins. The temple was in ruins. The whole city was in ruins. There was no wall to speak of anymore. It's all in ruins. And Israel was time and again, time and again, time and again, everybody else is punching back. Everybody else had a stronger army. Everybody else seems to have had a stronger deity. Everybody else was taking advantage of this little group of people. And so Israel thought out loud, well, shouldn't our God be the biggest bully on the block? Did we get there? Chris Yates, ladies and gentlemen. And okay. So it kind of makes some sense that the people of God would say, no, 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 we need our God to be the biggest, most dangerous, burliest warrior out there. This is how they chose to explain and illustrate their God. Now, given some of that, let's go back to hear these verses again, now in context. I will recount the gracious deeds of the Lord this God who fought for us and overcame Babylon for us. The praiseworthy acts of the Lord because of all that the Lord has done for us. And the great favor to the house of Israel that he has shown them according to his mercy, according to the abundance of his steadfast love. Now these are good gospel verses. The God who fights for us, but they are made better by their context. We must hear these verses in context. For he said, surely they are my people, people who will not deal falsely. And I kind of think maybe that was said tongue in cheek because they did deal falsely. They did. But even though the people of God were at times, at best, hypocritical, this God still comes for them. The gospel still seeks them out, even though they have done what they have done. And he became their savior in all their distress. 
It was no messenger. Oh, this is, uh, this is my favorite part. God didn't send an emissary. <laughs> it was no messenger or angel, but God, God's self. God's presence that saved them. In his love and in his pity, he redeemed them. He lifted them up and carried them all the days of old. Oh, it's beautiful stuff. Of course, then you kind of get a clunker in the next verse. You ready for this? But they rebelled and grieved his Holy Spirit, and therefore God became their enemy. He himself fought against them, trying to explain the exile. It doesn't negate what we've just read. It doesn't negate the beauty of this. In fact, if anything, it underscores how costly this grace has been to God. This is a God whose mind about you, whose mind about us, whose mind about Israel was made up, and help me here, and the news was and is, I mean, grace comes to us in the context of difficulty, failure, sometimes even in the difficulty of self inflicted wounds. Speaking of beauty amidst conflict and failure, has anybody else gone to see this yet? Oh, you guys. Van Gogh uh, is an artist, painter, was an artist. Uh, died in 1890. And I had just a, just a cursory knowledge of some of what I would guess I would call the lowlights of his life and career. I know that I have always appreciated Starry, Starry Night. And there's a story behind that painting, but I've always appreciated it. So when we had an opportunity to go see this exhibit in Oklahoma City, we went. And if you haven't had a chance to go see it, let me just give you some idea of what this exhibit is like before we talk more about Van Gogh. I've told you a little bit about what I kind of know, and maybe you do too, that this is the guy who cut off part of his ear. This is the guy who took his own life. But there was so much more that I didn't know. I didn't know that his dad was a pastor. I didn't know that there was something about his dad's life and ministry that inspired him to pursue ministry. Van Gogh, the painter, was, prior to being a painter, a minister and a minister in training a minister in training until he actually was kicked out of theology school because he couldn't do the work. Having been kicked out of theology school because he couldn't do the work, he couldn't handle it mentally. He said, but I still wanna, I still wanna minister, I still wanna make a dent, I still wanna help. And so he was assigned to a bunch of miners, a, a community of miners in Belgium. They were steeped in poverty, so conflicted and afflicted, and he moved into that neighborhood and tried as best he could to be incarnational. In fact, he lived in such solidarity with those miners that he then sold everything and dressed like them and lived like them and became an embarrassment to the establishment. And so, because he was so weird, they fired him. The religious institution fired him from that job too. 
and he was heartbroken. But he wasn't ready to give up on faith or on the pursuit of faith. What he said was, well, I will try to communicate this gospel. I will try to communicate this God, but I will use different means. And so launched his career in art. Now, here's the stuff that maybe we, we do know. In, 19, in, in, 19, in 1888, a Van Gogh, for whatever reason, attacked his roommate with a razor. And this is the day that he ultimately turned that razor on himself and lopped off his own ear. He would, in 1889, check himself into a mental institution, voluntarily checked himself in, and was really, by all accounts, was really doing much better. In fact, it was from the vantage point of his room in that institution that he looked out on the countryside and painted Starry Starry Night. That was his view out of his room. Thinking he was doing better, he left. He was not doing better. <laughs> wheat fields, I don't know if you've seen any of those, the, the wheat fields paintings, those are the, the paintings that he loved because he could identify with the wheat that were always in the process of dying, he said. This, he said about, about wheat, wheat is always in the process of dying as am I. So that was that. And then he said, sadness seems like it will always be a part of my life. He shot himself, didn't die immediately. In fact, didn't die, we don't think, from the gunshot wound, but from an infection. So he died kind of slowly, 48 hours after the gunshot wound, and said this, this sadness that I feel will last forever. Had some other great quotes too, but I'm gonna leave that one up there. Here's another thing he said, it's good to love many things for therein lies true strength. And whosoever loves much, performs much, and can accomplish much, and what is done in love is well done. I can hear us saying that. I can hear a person of faith saying that. Here's another one. The fishermen know that the sea is dangerous and the storm terrible but they have never found these dangers sufficient reason for remaining ashore. Isn't that interesting? And then he said, I am always doing what I cannot do yet in order to learn how to do it. Now that, that's my guy right there. I'm always doing what I cannot do yet in order to learn how to do it. To me, those sounds like statements written or spoken by a person of faith. There's something about that faith that I resonate with and identify with. And then he said, reportedly perhaps his last words, sadness will last forever. Wonder was lost. And we're not quite sure what happened, right? We, we can't discount Van Gogh's faith, you just can't. Nor can you discount his mental or emotional illnesses because people of faith can have mental and emotional illnesses, amen? But Van Gogh obviously felt great pain, anguish, heartache, uncertainty, confusion, despair. Do any of those sound familiar to anybody else in the room? Of course they do. But Van Gogh in his despair, believing that there would be no way through or around the sadness, believing that the sadness would ultimately win, Van Gogh ended his life. He lost grip of the truth and was overwhelmed by the context. Lost grip of the truth and was overwhelmed 
by the context. Van Gogh lost his grip on hope, maybe because of his illness, but maybe because he'd wandered too far from home, or maybe it was some combination of the two, but to him, the sadness would last forever. Sadness and pain and the outrageous behavior of power, hungry, dangerous, opposition, perhaps even enemies. Friends, these are not just past realities, these are current realities. And as long as we still find ourselves in the now and the not yet, this is for us and all who have gone before us, the context within which we understand the gospel. And more specifically, the incarnation. The truth and beauty in God coming to us into our neighborhood. Now, think again of the nativity scene. Think of your favorite nativity scene. And as long as you're giving me opportunity to kind of guide your imagination, now think of the Christ figure, the baby figure in that nativity scene that is your favorite. Everybody got it? You thinking of it? This God comes in vulnerability. This God comes in the midst of financial uncertainty to parents who are searching for shelter, for stability, for safety. Matthew 2 tells us that Herod, in response to Christ's birth and the betrayal of the wise men, massacred children. Can you imagine the heartache? But this is the world to which a child is born and a son is given. Rachel, another nickname for Israel, Rachel, is weeping. Our God knows what we face. The God in your nativity scene will come to our defense. And at some points, we, we get to see this God toppling the opposition before our very eyes, and we high-five, and those are really good days. And then there are other days that our God simply sits with us in the pain, walks with us through the anguish, and just identifies with us. Now that sounds like Hebrews 2, another passage I was handed today. Listen to this. It was fitting that God, <clears throat> for whom and through him all things exist, in bringing many children to glory, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through sufferings. Since, therefore, the children share flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared the same things, so that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. That should be a familiar phrase to us. For it is clear that he did not come to help angels, but folks like us, the descendants of Abraham. Therefore, he had to become like his brothers and sisters in every respect so that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make sacrifice of atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself was tested by what he suffered, he is able to help those who are being tested. And all of those being tested said, okay, only a couple of you, great. In other words, whether in the, whether in the out right when, where God topples our enemies right before us, or perhaps in the companionship of God in the time and place of our suffering, there is always hope. Van Gogh, there is always hope. Now, it, <laughs> on our bad days, it's still our preference. <clears throat> 
that God would stay in his armor and destroy all those who destroy, kill those who kill, humiliate those who humiliate, <clears throat> like the old poem in Isaiah 63 seems to say. And is it that God lacks the will or the strength to fight and win on the enemy's terms? I don't think so. I don't believe that. I do believe that God in Christ is fighting <clears throat> in ways that have, in ways that are now. My goodness, sorry. Can I drink this? Is that, that's not probably, I can't drink that. <laughs> and fighting in ways that will win lasting peace and life. God knows that cycles of violence are circles that never stop. But in the nativity, in your nativity, in my nativity, in that nativity, I see a God who prefers the journey of companionship that never ends. <clears throat> what Eugene Peterson called a long walk in the same direction. One of my favorite passages in scripture is in the Gospels. Thank you, precious wife. That's the only wife I have, she's precious. <laughs> mm. Happens in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says about a particular interpretation of the Old Testament law, you have heard that it was said, but I say. You know what I'm talking about? He says it several times. In the Sermon on the Mount, he says, you thought this, I'm telling you it's this. My suspicion is God is willing to say that, not just where the old legal codes are concerned, but also where the character and identity of God is concerned. You have heard that it was said, now put into that bucket, all of your old understandings of God. The Christ child comes along and says, but I say, <laughs> this is who God is. And this is how God does. This is who God is, and this is how God does. God comes alongside into the context of suffering and pain and danger and despair to folks who have tied a knot so many times and are just hanging on as best they can. God comes into that context to solve everything. Man, I hope so, but if not, God's still there. Keep your arms lifted. I used this quote last week, but I wanted to put it up in front of you this week. An author that really, really shaped my heart in profound sorts of ways, a guy by the name of Brennan, Brennan Manning. He says, Christmas is the promise <clears throat> that the God who came in history and comes daily in mystery will one day come in glory. God is saying in Jesus that in the end, everything will be all right. Nothing can harm you permanently. No suffering is irrevocable. No loss is lasting. No defeat is more than transitory. <clears throat> no disappointment is conclusive. Jesus did not deny the reality of suffering, discouragement, disappointment, frustration, and death. He simply stated that the kingdom of God would conquer all of these horrors, that the Father's love is so prodigal, and here that means lavish, 
that no evil could possibly resist it. The gospel makes its best point when it is received in context. Well, what context are you talking about? Well, I think this story is best understood against the context of all of the other ugliness and difficulty that was happening at the time. But this Christ and this gospel message makes its best point in the midst of your crises, in the midst of your despair. Man, I ache for the Van Goghs of the world who ultimately, in their despair, see no other way out. But the gospel makes its best point in the midst of despair. The gospel is its most true in the midst of despair, in the midst of struggle, in the midst of difficulty. Why else would we use each week broken body and shed blood? It's because we're trying to remind one another each and every week, and we are being reminded by God that this is the context within which the gospel comes to us. It's not clean and easy out there. It's difficult. Terrible things happen. Sometimes it looks like the bad guys are winning. Sometimes you don't make budget. (laughs) Sometimes you come up short. Sometimes people pass. Sometimes they pass slowly. (laughs) There's difficulty. And it's into that life It's into that neighborhood, it's into that context that the gospel shines its brightest. If you're helping us to set this table, go ahead and come help us. Heavenly Father, bless these elements, simple pieces of bread and sips from this cup, but somehow, God, in your hands it becomes something more. God, would you help us as we are nourished by body and blood? Would you help us to spot you? Would you give us a glimpse, even and especially in the midst of our despair, in the midst of our crushing loneliness, in the midst of our defeats, our uncertainty, our instability, and our struggle, would you give us a glimpse or a whisper, a whisper from your voice, a glimpse of your movement. It is our belief, God, that as we gather around this table, that that's what happens here, that somehow we are granted capacity that we would not have had otherwise. We believe that there's a cumulative effect here, God, that somehow as we return to this table time and again and remember and rehearse this story of non-scorekeeping, non-coercive, always self-sacrificing love, that somehow we will be able to see you and hear you better than we did last week. In a moment, I'm gonna ask you to stand to your feet, to exit your pews to the left, your left, and to come forward with your hands cupped to receive a broken piece of bread. As you approach someone with bread, that person will take a piece place it into your open hands and say, this is the body of Christ broken for you. Context is everything. (laughs) It is a gift given to you in the context of suffering. 
take that piece of bread, dip it into the cup. When you do, that person will say, and this is the blood of Christ shed for you. Context is everything, blood shed. Dip it into that cup and then take and eat and then find a place to pray. Maybe at one of these side padded altars. If you come to one of those side padded altars, we will assume that you're there for a prayer for healing and somebody will meet you there to pray that prayer for physical, mental, emotional, familial, relational healing. If you come to one of these kneeling benches, we won't assume anything, but we will come alongside and somehow help you to know that you are not praying alone because you aren't. Or you can circle back around and pray at your seat. You may wanna make a special trip up here by this bowl of water, which is right now very still. What's supposed to happen here is as you dip your fingers into the water, it's meant to remind you of the moment of your baptism and your inclusion in the people of God and the calling of God. Who is eligible? Everyone, including your pastor, who knows his need of grace. Each one of us who knows that need of grace is welcome at this table and will always be welcome. If you choose something a little, uh, if you are still concerned about the germs, and God bless you, I'm glad you're here if you are, it's okay. But we have a station at the back. They will be in masks back there. You can be served back there. Otherwise, everybody else will come down here. It was on the night that he was betrayed that our Savior took bread. He blessed it and he broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body broken for you. And every time you eat of it, Remember me, says Jesus. Later on, he took the cup and held it up before them and said, and this is my blood, the blood of a new covenant. And every time you drink of it, remember me, says Jesus. And so now all around the sanctuary, if you would go ahead and stand to your feet, exit your pew to the left and come forward to receive these gifts of God meant to nourish the people of God. I'm gonna pray a brief prayer of confession before turning it over to Jason for prayers of petition. 
Heavenly Father, we do confess sometimes because of the volume of the voices out there that seem to be communicating something other than grace and hope. Sometimes we get intimidated away from gospel truth because of the context. But God, would you remind us of the incarnation and, and today remind us especially of our favorite nativity scenes and give us the capacity to fixate on the fragility and the vulnerability of the Christ child figure so that we can be reminded that the gospel comes to us in vulnerability, in the midst of danger, in the midst of pain. Remind us, God, that the gospel is meant to be understood in context. Yes, the original biblical story, we mean that when we use the word context, but also the context of our lives remind us, God. The gospel of grace comes to us not to somehow eliminate the opposition, but comes to us in the midst of the opposition. And now having taken the bread and the cup, may we sense your companionship like never before. And now would you go ahead and pray your own prayer of confession as Mark plays. this before I turn it over to Jason. May the Almighty God have mercy on us. Forgive us all our sins through our Lord Jesus Christ. Strengthen us in all goodness and by the power of the Spirit keep us in eternal life. And as we move now towards moments of intercessory prayer, I want you to tune your hearts and your prayers for those who have broken bodies. So for those of you who know need a specific healing touch in their bodies and really in the whole of their life, as Mark plays, would you lift them to God? And I'll name a few folks that you can pray along with me during these moments. But would you pray for that person? And it can be someone in your household that can be yourself with a brokenness that needs a healing from a God who draws near. So would you pray as Mark plays? God, we join together in prayer for those with broken bodies, broken hearts, broken minds, for those, God, whose sadness draws near. And God, we ask that you would come to those that we love who are in our hearts and our minds, I right now, in our imagination and as we pray, that God, you would come to us. In our brokenness and make us whole, God, we pray for Glenn Fain, who has spent more time in the hospital this week. 
We pray for Carolyn Martin, who's had a really difficult time with her heart. And for those of you who don't know Carolyn, that's John Martin's sister. God, would you be with Carolyn as she's a mercy? God, we ask that you'd be with the Simmons family as Matt Simmons' mother's been sedated and on a ventilator down in Houston. Would you be with Matt and Allie and their family and Matt's mom? God, we ask that you would come alongside of our friend Laura Hardy. God, we ask you to continue in the good healing of Bonnie Goodwin. God, we ask that you would come alongside of Rihanna Jurgensen's little one and Timmy. God, we ask that you would be with those who for this year, these last couple of weeks of a holiday season has been difficult because of perhaps a brokenness or a broken relationship, estrangement, loss, those who've had a seat at the table that has been empty this year. And so God, in those broken places, would you send God strong sense of your spirit. And God, even in the brokenness and in the sadness, in the context, we ask that, God, you would come to us. Thank you for the message we've heard today. And God, as we look back on 2022 and look forward to 2023, we, God, give our hearts and our lives to you, lifting our hands and asking, God, what you have for us. As I look out, I see some who've made significant transition in work as some of who've moved here and just all of the transition and change. And God, we give our hearts and our lives to you in the middle of all of it. Before we pray the Lord's Prayer Church, I do want to give you space to pray, not just for those who you love, but maybe for those like an enemy, an opposite, or an irritant to give us the space as we love Jesus this year in 2023 to do what Jesus asked us to do, which is to pray for our enemies. And if we're not there yet, to maybe say in this prayer, God, would you give me the grace to want to want to have to do that someday? And God, we ask that you would transform us into your people as we pray this prayer together. It'll be on the screens in front of you. Let's pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.